Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Miller, joined by Dan Faulkner and Colton Watson. And we are back for our final opponent preview episode. Going to be talking about Mississippi State's home SEC opponents, LSU, Alabama, Kentucky, and the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, there's no other news happening in the sport, so we can literally just talk about pre- pre- previewing these opponents. And we're going to get right into it because we wait, want the wait, wait. To- we don't have any more logo discussion. You mean we can't? We can't talk about uniforms. Not at all. Not at all. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we really went way. We went a lot deeper than I planned on uniforms last week. We certainly did, and yep. that episode took way too long. And really, the discussion, the team discussion stuff went too long. We're gonna try to avoid that, and we're gonna get right into it. So, Mississippi State's first home SEC opponent of the 2023 season, the LSU Tigers. Year one for Brian Kelly was a massive success, winning ten games in the SEC West, um, and they got a lot of guys back. And a popular pick to win the SEC West yet again. So, Colton. What can you tell us about the Tigers? I'm going to tell you something uh, good and bad about the LSU Tigers. Number one, last year was 100% a fluke. That should not have happened. And I'm very – LSU got lucky in that its losses came in the games it could afford to lose, that they were a play or two away from losing some games that they did win. Uh, But they ultimately got to Atlanta, and you really have to credit Brian Kelly for – getting his team up and those players for making the plays that mattered most. Okay. All in all, you know, we're all going to remember the Florida state lost last year because of how crazy it was, but we're not going to uh, remember it for being a loss that wrecked their season because ultimately it mattered very little. Um, I think if they had, I don't think a 10 and two LSU team last year gets into the playoff instead of being nine and three. Okay. And uh, of course that Texas A&M loss is what kind of tanked that season. And then ultimately, they finished with a blowout bowl game win. I mean, maybe they finished in a New Year's Six Bowl instead of the Citrus Bowl. But what when you're LSU, like who cares? Like you're 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 for your playoff or bust for LSU. This year, because they were so ahead of schedule last year, I think this year they uh sh- th- this is the year that if they had had this season, the 2023 season, all very similar to the 2022 season, you'd be like, oh yeah, like. They're right along schedule. If last year was like an eight and four, nine, you know, eight and four, not a SEC championship appearance type year, you'd have been okay. And then you'd expect this year to be the big step up. Well, now this year, the expectations are very, very high and rightfully so in most cases. But it's interesting to see if LSU is going to be able to uh, meet those expectations. And of course, you, you heard the whole thing with the hunter and the hunted. They're not going to sneak up on, on anybody this year. Okay. Uh, an eight and four, seven and five LSU team last year, you would have said was an improvement. You would have said was headed in the right direction, especially if Jalen uh, Jaden Daniels was playing well, and he did play well down the stretch. But and but they wouldn't have been the big threat this year. Now they're going to be uh, have a huge target on their backs. However, they are likely more talented across the board this year than they were last year, and that's saying something. They did lose some pieces. Well, let's get into that. We mentioned Jaden Daniels, quarterback. Very, very solid pickup from uh, Arizona State out of the transfer portal. Last year, is very, very good. I remember this time last year, we weren't sure he was going to start. And now he's first team All-SEC on a lot of people's ballot. Uh, Heisman contender on, on some people's uh, – in some people's minds. I don't know about that, but very, very good player. Um, can run the ball. Really, really hurt Mississippi State last year. Scrambling on third downs, uh, evading guys. And that's kind of been, you know, our defensive kryptonite in the past three or four years is – 
quarterbacks that can run. If you're like a B minus or B plus passer and a B minus B plus runner, okay, you, you're going to be able to give us fits. If you're one, if you're neither or one or the other, usually Mississippi State's got you pretty uh, right where they want you. I think maybe the exception was Jackson Dart last year, uh, who ran better than we thought. But for the most part, those rushing quarterbacks that can still throw, I don't think the rushing quarterbacks that can't throw are going to hurt us. But Jaden Daniels not one of those. He got better as a passer as the uh, uh, it went on. Here's a fun fact for y'all. Would you guess that the second leading passer in LSU history only had 2,900 yards in a season, season single season? Uh, second most. Or it says total yards, I should say. So let me let me back that up. Second most total yards for an SEC for, I'd for say uh, because quarterback. Oh God, what was his name? Zach Medenberger. He had a three thousand yard passing season. I thought he did too. So let and me I see. I think what they this had says. a couple other guys most, up front. So. Very small font. Most total second most total yards, and that was with twenty nine hundred passing yards and eight hundred eighty five rushing yards. So only, only uh, thirty uh, seven hundred total yards rushing and passing, and of course he's second to Joe Burrow. But even Joe Burrow's first season, uh, or you know, all those that Mettenberger seasons, you know, never can eclipse that. So this year he's poised to be one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. I think the top three in, in the SEC right now are gonna be uh Jaden Daniels, uh KJ Jefferson, and Will Rogers. And then you can, you know, if if Spencer Rattler hits this year, he's right up there, and then Jackson Dart's probably right in that next tier. And maybe Joe Milk can be in that next year. But I'd be surprised if 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 you're picking a, a first third first second and third team all SEC, I'd be surprised if Jaden Daniels wasn't one of those three. Right, running backs, you know, is very very interesting. Uh, they were bring back a lot from last year, and they have a couple guys out of the portal, but it's not really uh, a position where you expect LSU to be. And I don't want to say that they're weak this year, but it's just there's no stud, there's no uh, bell cow workhorse running back back there okay you've got a lot of guys that have that have played uh Noah Kane last year um did really well for them in uh limited action John Emery who missed several games because of that weird academic stuff um they had a sophomore named Amani Goodwin last year and a former walk-on named Josh Williams um all of those guys got a, a, at least a few carries but their top rusher was Jaden Daniels Kane had 400 yards. Um, John Emery had 375 yards. Goodwin only played uh, – missed six games, only played seven games, had 267 yards. All those guys are back this year. Um, they did add uh, a talented true freshman and a Notre Dame transfer named Logan Diggs, who had 800 yards last year for Notre Dame. But they're, I'd be very surprised if they had a thousand yard rusher. And of course, their offensive line improved a little bit over as the year went on last year, but it wasn't a strength for that team at first. And so you were very surprised to see that other than the quarterback scramble, and I say scramble, it's not like Jaden Daniels is running around with a chicken with his head cut off, but it really wasn't the design run that hurt you. It was his improvisation that uh, was so effective for him last year. That was their biggest run threat. Okay. Uh, old school running, handing the ball off that kind of thing, wasn't really their bread and butter last year. Uh, Receiver-wise, you thought that Kayshawn Butte last year was going to dominate, and then he had a really down year. Uh, probably ended up being a steal. Who drafted Kayshawn Butte? Y'all remember? Not at all. I, I saw remember. him in a preseason game. 
I'll have to look. But uh, I saw him in a preseason game. He's one of those guys that's going to fall down draft boards because of one bad year, and he's probably going to be a really good player. Um, but I actually know a, know a girl that used to date Kayshawn, and uh, part maybe that distraction of the, their tumultuous – not saying the distraction of their tumultuous – uh, relationship was part was the reason why he was bad last year, but I'm not saying it's not because while they were dating, um, he was also dating his somebody else. So he had a lot going on last year. I happen to know. Um, Keishon Butte, he's in the he's in New England. Okay, so he fell off, but then of course, what happens? Former Mississippi State commit Malik Neighbors explodes onto the scene, has a great year, second team All SEC. He's back along with four of their top six pass catchers, okay? Lost some tight ends, but at receiver, they should be very strong. They they even added Alabama transfer Aaron Anderson. They The four returnees, uh, their top four pass catchers, average over 12 yards per catch, so they're going to be pretty solid uh, this year, okay? Or 13 yards per catch, excuse me. Offensive line, last year, this is probably their spottiest position. Gave up 40 – Five sacks. Hold on. Make sure I don't say that wrong. It's either 45 or 48, but it was a lot of sacks. 38 sacks in 2021, and then uh, it was 40-something. It, it was bad. Honest. They were it, in the 120s in, like, 45. sack rate allowed. What's incredible is they were, like, they were, like, consensus top five in, like, advanced rushing metrics in terms of, like, offensive line production, and they were advanced one of the metrics, worst but they're, pass they're, blockers in the country. Their uh, advanced rushing metrics in terms of like, not not in terms of like they've got a running back that's doing all that. The the offensive line was getting pushed. Yes, it's not like they're none of their running backs are are are. Not, Leonard Fournette is not on this team. It wasn't like the, the rushing was good in spite of the offensive line. They were good at run blocking, and then what's funny about that is Jaden Daniels is a mobile, physically strong quarterback. I mean, it's not like Will Rogers is back there, you know who or. I mean, you could probably put somebody even less mobile in that mold and make that analogy even better. But Jaden Daniels, a guy who's elusive, who killed us, we couldn't get him on the ground. They could not pass block. They should only get better this year. They did start true freshman uh, last year uh, uh, as bookend tackles. So uh, for at least a couple games, they're the first true freshman uh, tackles to start a game uh, as, as a duo in LSU history. They only lost their right guard that started just about every game last year. They did lose five backups. So depth-wise, they might be a little thin, but they're returning four starters. Um, this should be a, a place where you expect them to get better. Defensive line, um, they brought in a lot of transfers. They bring back a lot, but they but they lost some stars. Um, Mason Smith is coming back after uh, being lost in the opener to ACL. You lose B.J. Ojolari, who was dominant as a, at, at end. You lose Ali Gay, who started every game, uh, was really, really good for them. And you lose Jacqueline Roy, who was a big defensive tackle, started 12 games for them. Very, very talented player. But you're going to bring back Makai Wingo, who started 13 games for them last year, was a fourth-team All-American. Um, again, Mason Smith, who would have gone to the NFL had he not gotten hurt, he's going to be back. And they brought in five Power 5 transfers. So this might be one of their deepest groups. Talent-wise, I don't know if it's equal or lesser than last year. That's one of those things that remains to be seen. You've, you've got a couple stars. I don't know if top to bottom they're as talented as the roster that at least took the field against Florida State last year. 
Yeah, funny. There's uh, news about Mason Smith. It, it will shouldn't impact Mississippi State. Uh, he's suspended for one game this season against FSU because wow. of an improper benefits thing, uh, which apparently still happens. So he'll be back for us, but that's crazy. Like he gets hurt against FSU last year. They think they're getting them back. And like that's a pivotal game too. Uh he's suspended. That's one of those games. That's uh one of those uh news items that is interesting to some. Significant to some. Some, yes. Um defensive backs wise, twenty twenty one, they were really, really bad. In twenty twenty two, they did take a bit of a, a, a really big step up. This year, um, a little, very interesting because they lost starting safety J.J. Ward, uh, cornerback Jarrett Bernard Converse, who started nine games, Makai Garner, who started every single game, uh, Joe Faucha, who started eight games. I thought he was back. Did he transfer? I feel like we've talked about him before in these previews. Um and three backups, but they got five defensive backs or five just cornerbacks actually, uh, in the on the back end, according to the some pub, most publications, they're more talented at defensive back, but they are only bringing back one starter, and we are we state does get them early, so it's interesting to see how that they'll be meshing at that point, uh, and communicating. And because by the end of the year, I imagine that defensive back will probably be a strength, another strength for them. But it could be interesting to see chemistry-wise how that all goes. Linebackers, linebackers are going to be really good. Um, you know who Harold Perkins is. I think they're going to put him in the middle. They kind of had him – they had him at the sale more last year, didn't they? Sorry, I'm going back and forth between trying to unmute. Um, they had yeah, Harold, was Harold most- Perkins was most for the Sam, and now he's in the middle, right? Yeah, so he was mostly playing off the edge. Um, they've messed around with trying to be able to line up, line him up at Mike Backer. Um, I don't know if he's primarily going to do that. The interesting thing on Perkins, like a uh, few people have pointed out, is he's while very, he was in- for those of y'all that uh, keep up with the NFL and maybe don't know about Harold Perkins, he's very Micah Parsons esque. Yeah, very, um, very versatile, very strong and fast. The the big thing with him, Honey Badger. Yeah. Perhaps, maybe. Um, one of the big points that I've heard made, though, is like he's fantastic when it comes to pass rushing, not nearly as good when it comes to run defense. Now, he was a true freshman last year, and I think some of that is probably like pass rushing is so much more just, hey, man, go get after it, like go win, whereas there, there's more with the, the run game where it's about, you know, getting into the run fits and, you know, finding, okay, what gap are you responsible for? And then, you know, how do you have to make the adjustment based on where the run goes, all that kind of stuff. So that's probably something that comes with experience. Another scenario where it helps to get them early. Sure, sure. Um, But that's the thing. If you're going to play him more on the inside, he becomes a bigger part of the equation when it comes to stopping the run. So that's Mm -hmm. an interesting thing to see how that progresses. But, I mean, the guy is incredible. He's probably the most talented defensive player in the country. And if they get to a point where they see he can't handle that and they're like, all right, we're just going to have this dude rush the passer every single play, he's probably still going to put up ridiculous numbers doing it. I think they want it. They want it. They're intrigued by the idea of him, him in the middle. Because if he brings that pass rush on a blitz from the middle, their ends are going to be – should be really good this year that you're going to be in trouble trying to block those guys. Uh, because if you, if you have him rushing from the end, you're – 
you're going to have to take out one of your uh, likely going to have to either move one of your defensive ends to the interior or remove them from the equation at all uh, straight up to have to, for him to occupy that spot. If you can stand him up last year, you saw him like standing up on the line of scrimmage a lot, kind of like Tyrus wheat did. And if you do that, you're just going to limit the ability of, you know, Mason Smith or Mason Smith, the DT, but uh, Makai Wingo or somebody to, to get after those guys. So, very interesting. Um, that's all you got for a position breakdown. This is a team. I mean, they're going to play Florida State in Orlando. That's probably, honestly, other than at Alabama, the hardest game on their schedule. Um, if LSU is eleven and one or and ten and two, it's at Florida State or at Alabama that you uh, that you expect them to lose. Other than that, though, I think their third toughest game is probably Mississippi State at Mississippi State early in the season. Um, Going to be a, a 11 a.m. game, so that bodes well for LSU, unfortunately. Uh, I know you're going to have trouble filling in that stadium. They could come get, take a big lead and try to take the momentum away uh, pretty early. They have that, followed by a trip to Missouri, Auburn at home, Florida at home, Texas A&M at home, um, Arkansas at home. It's a very forgiving schedule. This That can't be right. You skipped out. They go to Ole Miss pretty early. They go to – that's right. They go to Ole Miss before, uh, right before they play Missouri. Okay, I was about to say I, I didn't. I missed a, a an away game there. So I think that their home they get a lot of their tougher opponents other than Alabama and Florida State at home, and that being Texas A and M and Arkansas. But they do have to go to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Missouri. Uh, they were ten and four last year, and the, other than the fact that they're not going to surprise anybody, they should really improve. Um, that now here's the thing: they could improve and win more games and not make the SEC championship and therefore not make the playoff because most nine and three teams don't go to the SEC championship. I mean, that's a la, you know, 1998 Mississippi state, right. That you win the West with a nine and three record. You lose an on-conference game. You lose a game to an East team this year. They swap out uh, Tennessee for Missouri. So that's a big, a big step down. Although I will, I will with maintain just like Mississippi state, Missouri is very underrated this year. Um, I'll I'll let y'all chew on that. I think their defense can be really good. Well, yeah, their defense but, is really good. It's whether or not their offense doesn't suck again. Right, right. We don't true. have to talk about Missouri though. And they lost some of their best. They, they, they uh, Georgia robbed them in the portal. But uh, anyway, this is this is a very interesting LSU team right now. I'd say they probably do get the win at Mississippi State. Although I'd like to see us closer to that game. If they get trounced by Florida State and Mississippi State dog walks Arizona. Uh, I might call that game the other way. Who knows? I don't. I don't foresee that right now. I foresee that Florida State game being very close. Um, don't ask me to pick a winner. That's tough. That is a the Mason Smith thing might make me lean towards Florida State, but that is a that is one of the toughest preseason games to pick that I could think of uh, in recent memory. But um, this is a, a team that if they're not ten and two or better, they're probably going to be disappointed in in Baton Rouge, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's certainly high expectations. Of course, coming to MSU, third game of the season, it's going to be difficult. I mean, MSU expects a sellout crowd. I mean, obviously, State sold out season tickets for the first time since 2015, and uh, apparently they anticipate the LSU game, even being an 11 a.m. kick, should sell out. So it should be a great atmosphere in Starkville. Um, and this is a game that State has been able to be competitive in for many years. It's just whether or not they can get over that hump. Dan, I'll ask you, I mean, how much of a chance – are you giving MSU in this game against the Tigers? Uh, right now, 
30, 35%. If I'm putting a number on it, obviously you got to give the edge to LSU. They're more talented. Like we're no one's going to argue with that at all. LSU is a more talented football team than Mississippi State right now. The timing of the game sucks for Mississippi State because no one wants to show up for 11 a.m. Look, fans, just go. Go. Come on. I know it's hot. Oh, well. We deal with the heat all Hopefully summer. Hopefully by then it's cooled down some. It's the third week of September, man. It's, it's I promise you, it's going to be toasty. Uh, look, you get there early enough, maybe it's a little cool in the stadium. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's, it's going to be a tough one. Um, LSU is one of those games you just have to do everything right to win the game. Can't make a lot of mistakes because you just don't have the talent to bounce back if you start making mistakes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think offensively they present a bad matchup for MSU early in the season. Um, Colton, you talked about dealing with Jalen Daniels and his legs and how that was an issue for State a year ago. And obviously you hope to see some sort of adjustment. But that's kind of been a continued issue for Mississippi State throughout Zach Arnett's tenure as defense coordinator. Obviously, he's no longer defense coordinator. Maybe Matt Brock has some sort of a change he implements that, okay, we find a better way to handle that guy. But, you know, I think about, okay, last year, pass rush was, was an, uh defending pass rush was an issue for them. Um, how much better are they? But also, I mean, MSU, who, who are the top pass rushers? And then that receiving core, um, all reports are they are very high on that group, even though you did lose uh, Kayshawn Booty. And, and, like, that's obviously a big, talented loss for them. But uh, some of the young guys they have to go alongside neighbors, like, it, it sounds like they're the typical LSU legitimate big-time receiver. So that's a that's a group that I think when you talk about MSU's breaking in a, a pretty new secondary. And, you know, we mentioned the Arizona game is a bit of a, a warm-up for what you're going to get against LSU. Um, uh, that gives me some pause. Now, on the other side of the ball, LSU at times had stru- had issues stopping the run last season. There were a few teams that were able to run all over them. Um, I know MSU was able to hit some big runs early in the game a year ago, but then LSU kind of adjusted. And there, there were a few plays. I, people keep sharing the, the Woody Marks highlight touchdown run, and I, I tweeted out, like, that is a player making a play because watch Dollar Bill Johnson get absolutely obliterated uh, on on that inside zone call there. Um, that should have been blown that up was, in the back. That, was, that play hurt us in the long run, I think. I think having all your offensive staff field level and not up high, you can't tell necessarily who got blown up, and they probably thought, okay, we can run the ball on this team. And they – Everybody wants to act like how we didn't run the ball enough, and why don't we just run the ball? When you force-fed the ball to the running backs against LSU, that's that that and the muff punt is what lost you the game. Well, every third and short, fourth and short that State tried against them went very poorly. But that's because, like, their talent in the defensive front is incredible. And I wonder MSU's O-line, which, by the way, I mean, well, you know, left tackle sounds like that might be Percy Lewis, which I think would be a really good thing for MSU. Um, Obviously, look, State's going to be building off of their run game more this year. And you hope that by having a few more run schemes and by committing to it a little bit more, maybe it's something that you can lean on. And if LSU still has a weakness to stopping the run, maybe you can take advantage of it a little bit. Because last year, um, that that was able to get LSU in some games. But obviously, with, like their pass rush made up for it. And, you know, while they had issues stopping the run, generally speaking, 
when it's a case of five offensive linemen going up against, you know, their six guys and their six guys are really freaking talented. Uh, it's easy to get some blown up runs in the backfield. So like, I mean, I think you'll see state have to, you know, try something there, but you also wonder, I mean, pass protection is pass protection going to improve because pass pro was terrible for state against LSU. Um, you know, they're going to have to run the ball. I think in this game, they probably like, I I think if you're going to have a chance, you're probably going to have to have a, some sort of a run game going. I mean, you're going to want to like, like pull out the. It's kind of like how you throw everything at a young quarterback. Um, as a when you're coaching a defense, you're going to want to make Harold Perkins be very confused on like some motions and some counters and stuff, some misdirection. I think, and then just run maybe run away from whichever side the strong side, that kind of thing. It's going to be tough. Um, look, they have, they have a lot of talent up front. Now, obviously, like Cole mentioned, they lost some key pieces in the secondary, but I know they like their safety group, and I know they feel really good about some of the corners who came in as transfers. So how do your receivers match up? You know, last year it was kind of a 50-50 proposition. Really, last year, your guys were getting open, but they weren't catching the football. Um, a couple of really poor drops in that game. Does that change this year? I mean, obviously, we're talking about different offenses here, but I don't care what offense you're running. If you can't catch the football, you're not going to have much success. Um, really, last year, State just kind of squandered opportunities. And, you know, that's, of course, you know, and there's, there's the special teams aspect where State made it. LSU was one of the worst special teams in the uh, teams in the country last year. It's why they yeah, lost they the FSU that. game. They were pretty bad. But stay, and they have all those guys back. The thought is maybe they can be a little bit improved, but – State's the one who made the crucial special teams error in the game, and we see what happens. So, look, this is a game MSU has had an opportunity in. I think they can keep it competitive for for a time being, but as to whether or not they can pull pull it out, I, I'm kind of with Dan where I think this is probably around a 30 or so percent chance. So, State gets that big game against LSU early in the season. Then they'll travel to Columbia to take on the Gamecocks. We talked about them in last week's episode. If you're trying to, you know, get a – you haven't heard that and you want to get an update on what the Gamecocks will look like. And then – the kryptonite comes to town. Alabama, Mississippi State has not taken down the tide since 2007. Um, under Sylvester Croom, that's the only time they have beaten Nick Saban. Uh, Dan Mullen went winless against them. Joe Warhead went winless against them. Mike Leach went winless against them. This does feel like if there were ever a year that Alabama has legitimate questions and you could get them, which other teams have been able to challenge them the last few years, Mississippi State really is not, which – that's kind of par for the course for MSU. Dan, you have our breakdown on the tide. Can State actually give Alabama a game in 2023? Yeah, hope so, right? Look, folks, I mean, everyone's starting to question, look, is is Nick Saban starting to wear down some? Is, is the SEC catching up to him? I mean, he had his decade of just complete dominance over the conference, more than a decade. And, and you know, it really just complete control over the game. He's made some moves. So he brought two new coordinators, right? He, he got rid of the two coordinators he had the last few years. Uh, he's got um, Tommy Reese from Notre Dame and Kevin Steele from Miami, right, as his two coordinators. Just trying something brand new, right? You lose your, your Heisman winning quarterback, Bryce Young. It's uh, it's a new era in in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in terms of who's leading the charge. Yes, Hinge. I was gonna point something out though. Like Kevin Steele has been his DC before. 
That was way back in yeah. the day. Uh, but there is some familiarity there. So, you know, I think the, I think he's trying to get back to classic Saban ball. Kevin Steele's been around to a lot of places, a lot of places, uh, including at one point being Auburn's defensive coordinator. Uh, now, biggest question is who's the starting compass, uh, quarterback, right? Some folks saying Jane Milrow, Tyler Buck Jr. I mean, you're not quite sure who it is. Saban is quoted today saying that the uh, the competition will continue past the season opener. So no matter who starts in their first game of the season, they're still going to have competition between the two guys. Uh, now, the rest of the offense, you know, it's still going to be pretty good. Not quite at that level that you saw between the years of 2018-2020. But you have Jace McClellan returning. Uh, he's their leading rusher who returns 600-plus yards from a year ago. At wide receiver, you have uh, Ja'Cory Brooks and Jermaine Burton, who are your top receivers from a year ago. Uh, they, they were your two top targets. And so they're they're back for another year. And, it, and look, these aren't the same kind of receivers you see blowing up in the NFL uh, and and having good careers. Uh, and as you saw from like that 2020 team, um, but you know they're they're still serviceable guys, especially Jacory Brooks. Uh, Jermaine Burton is still a very talented guy. Obviously, we had the issues last year where where he was seen uh, on camera when the field got stormed against Tennessee. He did. Uh, 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 I guess I'll just say push somebody. Uh, so, and it, it was quoted as saying he was scared for himself. He clearly wasn't. The question at tight end, right? Cameron Latu is your top guy there last year. Not sure who you're going to have starting there. And then the offensive line, you have one senior, two juniors, one sophomore, one freshman projected to be the starters there. But these are guys who go to Alabama. Are they going to be bad? No, no, they're not friends. They're not going to be bad at the offensive line. It's not going to be the same without Bryce Young. You know, he was so talented. They do need some production out of the starting quarterback. Real quick, going to that defense, regardless who they play, they're going to be the baddest dudes on that field. This is the Alabama Crimson Tide defense we're talking about. They're going to be bad dudes out there. They did lose five starters from last season, but they're always looking to reload. You are returning two of your three best players on defense from last year. Right? Your three best last year, Dallas Turner, uh, Will Anderson and Kool-Aid McKinstry. You only lose Will Anderson of those three guys, right? Kool-Aid is top returning defensive back in the SEC. You know, he only had one interception last year, 15 pass breakups. He doesn't really get the ball thrown his way a lot. He's a really good lockdown corner, um, really good at what he does. But yeah, the star of this team is Dallas Turner, right? Only four sacks last year. I uh, expect that to double this year. Um, really looking to potentially be the defensive player of the year in the SEC. He and probably Harold Perkins will be competing for that award um, and even top defensive player in the country. Uh, fun little fact, just looking around at their team, uh, at their defense specifically, one of their defensive backs, he's not looking to be a starter. His name is Devontae Smith. I don't know how I missed this in years past. Maybe he was a transfer, but he's listed as a junior. Uh, yeah, they have defensive back Devontae Smith. And spelled the same way as the 2020 Heisman winner, Devontae Smith. Same team, too. If someone knows more about that than I do, that's cool. Not really going to be a starter. Uh, looking more at the second string on that. But uh, if ever you just want to know a cool fact, uh, there is another Devontae Smith. So if there's any proof that Alabama is just a factory creating clones, that's probably it right there. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how good Devontae Smith is at defensive back. We know how good he is at wide receiver. Well, here's the end story with this Alabama team, though. 
Losing streak right now sits at 15 games. But that 15 is the same number of losses they took in a row before Jackie Sherrill started a three-game win streak against them in 1996. So just like Andrew is saying, you know, is this the time? Look, I, I, I think it's a lot of BS about the whole, like, oh, history repeats itself or whatever. Like, I, I, I don't really believe in that. But wouldn't it be cool if, you know, you just started a three-game win streak against Alabama just like uh, Jackie did? Longest losing streak against the Tide is 22 from 1958 to 79. You got a few years to, to end this one so you don't catch up to that one. Uh, but here's the end story. To beat Alabama, you, you cannot make mistakes. Mississippi State does not have the talent to to make up for mistakes. I mean, you saw that really in the 2017 game. They are playing nearly flawless football, but there at the end, they just couldn't quite finish Coaching didn't help them, especially on on the defensive side, right? With some, some, okay, yes, but blitzing all out blitz on third and long is a is a fantastic idea. Uh, I'm just saying, like they blitz is blitzing the same way you were about to before the timeout. We're not talking. Yeah, we're not talking about. We're not talking about that. This only proves the point. You cannot make these mistakes, right? You're playing Alabama. You have to play your very, very best. And when you do that, sometimes you still lose. So, but as we said before, this maybe, I'm going to say maybe, I doubt it. This could easily be a resurgence year for Nick Saban. He'll go 15-0, and once again solidifying, telling everyone, ha, I'm still him. I'm still the top dog and and just win another natty just because he can. He can do that if he wants. So that's all I got on Bama. That's all I got. Yeah. Um, you know, this is an interesting tie team to look at. I think the hire of Tommy Reese to me signals a direction that Saban wants the program to go. Um, I think he wants to get back to old school Bama. Tommy Reese at Notre Dame, it's a lot of twin tight end stuff, power running, and then setting that up, using that to set up play action. Um, that's kind of close to what Bama was doing back in the day in the early era of Saban. I actually was watching my YouTube popped up like highlights of 2013 Bama, Texas A&M, which was like a 49-42 game in College Station that Bama got the win. And the number of times you see Bama lining up under center and running just like power football compared to when you watch Bama now. And like, they haven't been doing that in a long time. It was kind of crazy. I think Saban wants to get back to that. Now it's been pointed out by a lot of people that Bama runs the Bama offense. It doesn't matter who the OC is. They're going to keep the terminology the same. They're going to keep most of the concepts the same. And then it's sort of the OC gets to throw a few wrinkles in here or there. I do think hiring Tommy Reese is saying we kind of want to get back to old school ball. Now, granted, Tommy Tommy Reese had to do what he did at Notre Dame because that's all Notre Dame had. Like, their quarterback situation wasn't great. Their best pass catchers were tight ends. Their best athletes on offense, besides the tight ends, were running backs. And they had really good offensive line. Like, their personnel suited that. But I kind of think Saban looks at what George has been doing, which is a lot of what I just described, and I think that's what he wants. So, I think he's trying to kind of throw it back. And it's going to be interesting if they have the group for that. Um, you know, like you mentioned, only two starters back on the old line. It sounds like they're going to be starting a true freshman at left tackle in Caden Brock. Now, apparently, like, he's the truth. 
like this is a five-star freshman and like he sounds like he's killing it in practices and people are very excited for him like it's not like they're throwing a guy out there who can't play but there is some new younger experience up there and you do wonder like okay mississippi state whose strength has been run defense when fully healthy if that's the approach bama tries to take which i think they're going to have to take because of who their quarterbacks are maybe mississippi state can give them some problems on defense i, I don't know because like you mentioned, the receiving I mean, we board... can we can ascertain whoever wins that job, he's either gonna be a way better runner than a passer or a way better passer than a runner, right? Uh I don't know about that. All three of them can move. Like Buckner can run. Uh Simpson is not as good a, an athlete as the other two, but and has the most natural tools. But I mean he's super inexperienced. I mean he hasn't great he's not great as a passer either. Milrow's the best athlete, but you know, quarterback skills lack. Um so if this if this quarterback competition is still kind of going on when they come to state, watch out. I do think state's defense could potentially. I mean, if you're, you're talking about giving this problem, now we also mentioned running quarterbacks have given state some issues, so there's that to watch on. Um, but like Dan talked about, the receiving core doesn't scare you the way it has in the past. Um, like Corey Brooks is pretty good, and then Jermaine Burden, like it, if he can take a step forward and get closer to the player he was, or at least was hyped to be at Georgia, maybe. Um, but I think they're going to have to be a kind of a power run first team. And I think Saban kind of wants that. And I mean, hiring Kevin Steele is hiring someone who knows what Saban wants and how Saban wants it. That was kind of one of the big things with Pete Golding was the Golding hire was a guy who was sort of from away, away from his tree. And it felt like, again, when you come to Alabama as the defense coordinator, you are running Nick Saban's defense. You're not running your stuff, but there is the question of, how well do you handle that? Obviously, Kevin Steele's been around it. I, I think Saban's trying to kind of play throwback here. Um, I don't know if their defense is going to be – it's weird. I, defense will probably end up being the same because it's like play calling-wise, I think they'll be improved. Like Kevin Steele is a better defensive coordinator than Pete Golding is. Um, shout out Ole Miss. Um, but at the same time, there are some key questions about some of the guys that they've lost, like the linebacking core getting turned over quite a bit a bunch of key players outside of Kool-Aid in the secondary getting replaced. I know it's Bama, but it's still a lot of production loss. So it's a gettable team. It's just, A, okay, they are they were on the 90% in the blue chip ratio, which is the highest ever. Like, we talk about it feels like Bama's lost a step, and yet they just they technically have the most talented roster in college football history right now for the blue chip ratio. And you would just have that feeling like Saban's eventually, like, we now that we all think they're going to fall off, this is when Saban makes it happen, and it hasn't mattered how gettable MSU looks, or Alabama looks. MSU hasn't been able to stop them, so you you really don't know. Like, does that change this year with a you know a new coaching staff, new systems in place, play calling? That's a big thing to watch. I mean, look, I know there's a thought that. Uh, Switching offensive systems should help MSU in stopping Bama. I, I hope so. Um, or being able to move the ball on Bama. I, I certainly hope so. But what I would say is, you know, I think people forget the last two years, State actually did move the ball decently well against Alabama. The problem was in both games, you either stalled out in the red zone or kept failing on fourth downs with some crucial mistakes. And, like, I'm, I'm not saying State's offensive game plan was the perfect thing for scoring on Bama when I'm in the last two years. But what I'm saying is, they were very close to being more impressive in those games than I think a lot of fans realize. Um, I've also just sort of at a point until I see Mississippi State 
actually give Bama a challenge. I'm not going to expect a close game. I do think State's defense might be able to give them some problems, though. So that that's a big thing to watch. I mean, you, you just hope it's a good atmosphere in Starkville, and then maybe it can sort of be the difference, and you give yourself a chance. State won't have a home game. Uh, well, it won't have a conference home game from that point until uh, like the first week of November when the Kentucky Wildcats will come to town this is a series that at this point we know how it goes. The home team wins. Uh, Kentucky has not won in Starkville since 2008. Mississippi State has not won in Lexington since 2014. But luckily, the game's in Starkville. And when the games have been in Starkville miss- recently, Mississippi State has largely kind of dominated those games, which is kind of a good thing because I do think Kentucky could be a good team this year. So having that home field advantage is going to be huge. Um, look, the Cats had high expectations a year ago. They didn't deliver. They went seven and six. Their defense was incredible. They only gave up 19 points per game. And Tennessee was the only team that scored more than 24. Uh, They scored 44 points, but that's what the Tennessee offense will do to you. And also Kentucky had a terrible defensive game plan for stopping that system. Um, But everybody else, they were really good. But their offense sucked. They scored 20 points per game. Uh, Their change in offensive coordinator hurt them. Rich Scangarello uh, really changed things up quite a bit. Kind of was antiquated with his offensive philosophy. It didn't work for him. And then when you couple in that their offensive line went from being a consistent strength to being one of the worst in the country a year ago, they were bad. And then, if, I mean, Will Levis didn't live up to the hype. Now, it wasn't all his fault because, again, he was playing in a system that didn't suit his strengths and he didn't have blockers in front of him. But he also, you know, you expect a a guy who's supposed to be a first-round pick quarterback to pick things up for you a little bit, and he really didn't. Um, but their offense should improve quite a bit because their old OC, Liam Cohen, is back. And he just did a really nice job of maximizing the pieces he had to work with uh, back in 2021 on their way to a 10-win season. Um, quarterback, going to be Devin Leary from NC State, where he was really good in his career. You look at his 2021 season. This was his stat line. Uh, completed nearly 66% of his passes for over 3,400 yards, eight yards per attempt, 35 touchdowns, five interceptions. Just an insanely good year. The problem is he's dealt with a ton of injuries. Uh, He's had multiple years cut short. Last season, uh, he got hurt against FSU, and I believe what was either done for the year or came back a few weeks later. Um, You know, it's something that's kind of plagued him. It's like a real concern with him. But the talent is there, and he's probably a better college quarterback than Levis. I think he's undoubtedly a better college quarterback than Levis. Now, he doesn't add the rushing element, um, which is could be concerning when you talk about that offensive line if it's still a problem again. And then it goes a couple in. If he has injury issues and the O-line is a problem again, that gets a little bit tricky. Um, but, look, he, he's a legitimately good player, and I think he's got a good play caller for him. And he's going to have weapons around him, too. At the running back position, they lose Chris Rodriguez and Cavassier Smoke, but they bring in Ray Davis from Vanderbilt, who was a 1,000-yard rusher and a really good player. Um Kentucky typically can run the football well. They should be able to do it again, although, again, last year they didn't run the ball well because of their offensive line. Their wide receiving core is one of the best in the SEC. Uh, Barry and Brown and Dane Key were both really freaking good for them as freshmen. Um, and their top five pass catchers from that group are back. Uh, there's Trevion Robinson, from Virginia, who was a transfer from Virginia Tech. Their top two tight ends returned. Like, they have one of the better groups of receiving talent out there, so – Leary is going to have a good group to throw to, and he's suited to throw the football around. But like I've talked about here, the concern is offensive line. They gave up 47 sacks last season, 3.3 yards per carry, and it wasn't just a case of, 
well, the yards per carry is bad because of how many sacks they gave up, which, yeah, Will Levis had negative rushing yards last season. A guy who's kind of a dual threat, who's a good runner, had negative rush yards because of how bad the O-line was. But they were still sub-75 rank in all those advanced offensive line rush numbers that I've talked about, which basically looks at how much push is the offensive line getting, how much of the runs are a product of the O-line doing their job. They were bad. That has to change. Um, you know, that's been a strength for them for a long time, but it wasn't last year. Uh, they Now they've shuffled some guys around this offseason to put them back in some more natural spots, um, and they brought in a few transfers. Uh, Marcus Cox from Northern Illinois, probably going to be their starter at left tackle. You know, kind of wonder if a guy from the MAC now is the starting left tackle in the SEC, how does that work out? Um, can this group be solid? I think that's what it boils down to. If this can be a passable offensive line group, I think they got a chance to be one of the best offenses in the SEC because the skill talent is legitimate. The quarterback, if he stays healthy, is a, in my opinion, at the college level, a massive upgrade from what they had. And the play caller is fantastic. So the pieces are there for this to be the best Kentucky offense we've seen in a long time. It hinges on the offensive line. Can they take that next step forward? Turn it over and to the I'll, defense. I'll tell you what, what's okay. funny. When was the last time – when was the last time Kentucky's strength on offense was at the skill position or not up front? It's been a while. I mean, yeah, it's typically been offensive line and then running back for them, you know, the last several years. It's been their run game. That's what they have built around. They, I, I know people have pointed it out, but they have built their program in a similar mold to what Dan Mullen Mississippi State did. Now, they have better recruiting, but – the idea of building around getting good off, developing good offensive linemen, having a good running back, just throwing kind of whoever out there at quarterback most years, and just sort of making that work to go along with a really good defense and going out, beat the teams you're supposed to beat, lose to the teams that are better than you, and win seven or eight games. That's been what Kentucky has done under uh, Mark Stoops. And now you look at it, it's like, okay, the skill talent's there, but the offensive line fell off. So they got to get that approved for sure. Um, I don't know if you had something else you wanted to add there or not. Uh, okay. <laughs> Defense. Yeah. They got an all they got an all name team mate, uh, guy on that front seven. Which one? Octavius Oxendine. Oh yeah. That's right. Uh, all right. Talking about the Wildcat. Defense. And I'll like tell you what's funny. So like you know how oxendine sounds like a chemical. So how uh this is super nerdy. The last the second to last column on the periodic table, the halogens, when they're atoms, they're they're end in I N E. When they're ions, they end in I D E. Somebody on put him on an all name team list and they changed him to oxendide. And I, I tweeted it, it was like, oh my gosh, they ionized Octavius Oxendine. I, I cannot believe this has happened which I thought was just funny. Like it sounds so much like a chemical. They changed the, the end of his name in a way that you commonly would chemical names. I say chemical elements. <laughs> There's your chemistry lesson with Colt. Uh, look, they you were fantastic on defense a year ago. We expect them to be good most years. They did lose a few key players, but probably good again. They're not going to be as good as good more than likely, but they should be a good Kentucky defense. Once again, D line expected to be a strength. Um, Oh, look, a lot of the starters were highly rated prospects coming out of high school and got a good bit of experience last year. Uh, Deion Walker is a massive defensive tackle. 
who leads that group. I think some reports out of spring are that he's looking slimmer and faster. Um, but he was sort of the, the, the top guy for them there in the defensive interior last season, I think as a freshman. Um, this is a group that does need to step up, though. They, For as good as their defense was, they struggled at generating pass rush a year ago. So that was like the one area they have to improve improve upon. They need this group to kind of step up, but they've got the talent to do it. Linebackers are interesting because, like, they have three guys who are gone who were, like, primary starters when you talk about DeAndre Square, Jacquez Jones, and Jordan Wright. But then they have three guys back who have starting experience because of so much, uh, so many injuries a year ago. J.J. Weaver is their jack linebacker who, as we've talked about, a jack backer is like an outside guy who typically kind of works as a pass rusher. Um, and he led the team in sacks last season. Uh, Mike linebacker, Derek Jackson, was their team leader in tackles. And then you have your weak side linebacker, Trevin Wallace, who just had a solid year all around. This is a pretty good group. Um, and I think they feel confident in it because of how much experience the guys got and that they did play well overall. Um, I think your, your front six for Kentucky should be pretty solid once again. Um, on the back end, they feel good about safety, have real questions at corner. Um, Jordan Lovett and Zion Childress are a good safety duo. Um, I believe Lovett was like second on the team in tackles a year ago, and Childress was, was – I don't think he was started the season as a starter, but ended up having better production. He played quite a bit. Uh, over whoever the other strong safety was. Um, cornerbacks are probably going to be transfers, and I think they I've read they look good in camp, but that's kind of the extent there. I think they're bigger body guys as well, which you got bigger body guys that can be an edge for you, but how well do those guys move, I guess, is sort of the big question. So corner's going to be a position to watch for them, but obviously when you talk about this game being in November, we're going to have a good idea of what they can do at that point, either they're going to have learned quite a bit and are going to be a, a, a good group, or maybe you find out that's a group you can pick on a little bit. So, I mean, look, you know, the Kentucky defense is going to play well. Um, and offensively, I think their ceiling is a little is really high. This could like, they had all the hype in the world last year and didn't live up to it. this year. I think they're, I think some people are about to are saying what I'm about to say, which is they're flying a little bit under the radar might be really good. It's one of those things where if everybody says you're underrated, are you actually underrated? I think it's just, hey, Kentucky's going to be good this year. Now, they were good in 2021 as well, and they came to Starkville and got the teeth kicked in. Um, and obviously that MSU team was somewhat better than its record indicated, but they were also severely flawed, which is why they ended up 7-6. and six. Um, I think you look at this Kentucky team, and like it, it, this is a really good group all around. It's just, hey, the game's in Starkville. It's homecoming. They're breaking out the interlocking logo. Uh, I mean, is there any real threat of MSU having the losing streak snap? I would say there is a real threat, but how likely do you two see that of being the case? There's no way they lose this game in those throwbacks. No way. The uh, and, and I mean, I'm, obviously there's a way. I'm just, you know, speaking out of turn a little bit. But um, this is one of those rare games. Usually in November, I'm okay with the games being – during the day, especially because the Egg Bowl is always going to be at night as on on Thanksgiving. Uh, I want this one to be at night. I want it to be dark. I want it to be uh, ruckus. I want it to be jazzed up. I want the crowd into it. I want the lights shining bright. Um, I don't want this to be – this. if this one ends up being 11 a.m. kick, I'll be disappointed. Uh, if it's a night game, especially, I don't know if Kentucky has a chance. seems like a lot of these big wins against Kentucky – uh, 2015, you played at night. 2021, you played at night. Um, 19 and 17, uh, was were day games. And then, uh, going back further than that, you'd have to 
I, I wouldn't be honest if I told you what the, what time those games were played. But it seems like, you know, you killed them. And in 2021, you had, even though coming in that game, Kentucky was looked like the better team, they got swallowed up by that Davis-Wade atmosphere. I, I'd like to see that happen again, even if Kentucky's kind of a hot team when that happens, like you predicted maybe. Uh, I know that Davis-Wade can get the best of them. Well, I also think the schedule comes into place where it could give them some challenge. I, I, I'd forgotten what – I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, just looking at this. So they come off a bye, they host Tennessee, travel to Starkville, then they host Alabama. So their two biggest home games of the year surround this. Now, MSU is coming off road games in Fayetteville and all. So, you know, State's going to be how, – how have you handled those games? But I do think the schedule where it's located favors MSU a little bit. Dan, what are your thoughts on the Cats? Yeah, like you said about the schedule, you hope that works out in your favor. Uh, now, you know, last year, uh, I think it was Kentucky. We're talking about the schedule. They were sandwiched between South Carolina and Tennessee. Like I'm looking at now, there is a bye week in between it. But still, you had Tennessee coming up next. However, we know how the streak goes. Home team wins. There is no reason for that to change this season. No reason whatsoever, especially as Colton said, if it is a night game, in November, in Davis Wade Stadium. Sheesh. That's all I got to say. Or whenever it is. Yeah, it is November. So, yeah, sheesh. I'm just trying to look, uh, you know, because obviously this is one of those, you know, did not scouting beforehand to prep for this. I mean, the things that gave Kentucky's defense issues last year, because um, there wasn't much. Like, their run defense was – good outside of well teams a few teams did run on them to be fair and I think we actually mentioned that going into that game that you there was the potential to run on them and I think state tried a couple runs early in that game and it was kind of mixed bag and then LaQuinton Sharp went down um and I think you were were you already without either Woody or Dylan Johnson in that game I'm trying to remember uh I I, I don't know um, he got hurt in the game. No, no, no. Coming into the game, Marks was – I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean – You were limited. You were limited offensively more than it appeared. I don't think people teams, realize how important and the running backs were to that team. For sure. Um, and obviously, I know people like State didn't really try much of a ground game in that game, at, you know, at all. But I, I did think Kentucky's defensive front – Gave State a lot of problems on that night. But, again, other teams ran on them. So maybe this is kind of like the LSU game where you look like last year you weren't really built to run on that team. Maybe in a new system you're built to do it and you can take advantage of some. But, like I also said, have questions about their secondary, um, at least a corner. Maybe you take advantage of that. You can beat them in the air. Um, you know, their offense, having a quarterback who can throw it in that receiving core scares me, honestly, because we know that's kind of the concern for for MSU on defense. Hopefully you've sorted things out by that point of the year. So, look, I mean, I think we'll all pre predict Mississippi State to win the game. We're not doing our predictions today, but it's in Starkville. We're all going to say MSU is just going to win because the game's in Starkville. That's just how it goes. And, again, they're not losing to the interlocking throwbacks. But Kentucky could be good this year. It's worth watching. In the final home game, Thanksgiving night, the Ole Miss Rebels coming off an 8-5 and five season in which they lost 
five of their final six games after a 7-0 start that was entirely fluky, and they really should have lost to this Kentucky team that we just talked about. Um, kind of a, a weird stretch thing for them down the stretch because all the rumors in the world come out that Lane is going to take the Auburn job, and newsflash, he was going to take the Auburn job before things changed there at the very end. You know, they they lose the Egg Bowl in Mike Leach's final game in Oxford. They get kind of embarrassed in the Texas Bowl against Texas Tech. Um, and a lot of flux within the program from coordinator changes, uh, at least on the defensive side, transfers, because that's what Ole Miss does. I mean, what's the quick overview, Colton, uh, before we break down the, the two sides of the ball here for the Rebels? What's the status of this program? And I think what are the general expectations? Because obviously Kiffin got a massive contract. He's getting $9 million a year. Like, wh- where do you see this team at and this program at? All right, so so let's look at last year, okay? You look at Ole Miss, 8-4, and four, benefited from a horrible year from Texas A&M, okay? A horrible year from Auburn. And you can say the same about Mississippi State, so let's not let's not get it twisted, okay? But Mississippi State's not paying a guy $9 million a year, all right? Not yet, anyway. Um, got smoked by Arkansas, who was pretty talent deficient towards the down the stretch on defense. Okay. And Ole Miss moved the ball against Arkansas, but could not stop a nosebleed in that game. Um, finished eight and four, eight and five in the bowl game. I think that bowl game was uh, when you have a, a big 12 team like Texas Tech push them around the way they did. I think that really showed you where Ole Miss was as a team because they weren't just ram- ramaged by opt outs the way some teams are. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they had each team had their fair share, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like uh, LSU in 2021 or something, you know, when they had like 40 players. Okay. So you go on, your coach holds you hostage. You pay that coach a lot of money. This year you swap out Kentucky for Georgia. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you any year your Vanderbilt game is at home, you're in trouble because that's like, that's a road game that you should be able to put in your back pocket. And then your four home games can be against more worthy opponents. Well, that Vanderbilt game being at home means they have four real SEC opponents on the road. And don't get me started about how the fact they even get to play Vanderbilt every year. It's embarrassing. But you're going to swap out Kentucky for Georgia. Okay, that's another loss. Are you, Where are you going to pick up a win? Are you going to pick up a win that you didn't get last year over Mississippi State, uh, Alabama, or LSU? Okay, or uh, Arkansas? Okay, if you get win, if you can flip one of those games this year, guess what? You're eight and four again. And you're paying a coach nine million dollars that he who will continue to hold you hostage as long as that guy is his agent. He will continue to hold you hostage year in and year out for every big job that comes open, and make your fans sweat, kind of like Dan Mullen did. We're not gonna uh, draw too many comparisons, but is eight and four going to be enough? And I'll be honest with you, they could very well lose to A and M or Auburn uh, this year. They could pick up a win and then still end up seven and five. Or, God forbid, they can lose all the teams they want. They lost to last year and Georgia and one other team, and and then people might start uh, start calling for Lane Kiffin to be fired, and the, then that buyout is going to be a big deal. So right now, I think you have a lot of Ole Miss fans that know, that know they hired a coach to turn in nine, ten, eleven win seasons, and you're setting them up with this schedule to to be very, very asking a whole awful lot to hit that benchmark this year. 
What I'm curious to see how those fans and that administration reacts to a, an eight and four, seven and five type year. When most for the for the record, okay, that would be fine at Ole Miss most years. But you turn in that one ten and two record with Matt with a, uh, one of the best quarterbacks you ever had, uh, with one of the only competent defensive coordinators you ever had back in 2021, and now all of a sudden we act like Ole Miss is supposed to be competing for the SEC West. They're not, but they're paying their coach like they are. So I'm interested to see uh, if those expectations are met. I'm doubting that they're met. And then I, I want to know how are fans and boosters and movers and shakers in the Ole Miss program going to react when they're when those expectations are not met? Yeah. Um and like I do think eight and four this year, I think most of their fans are kind of like in that eight and four, nine and three range of predictions from what I've seen. I, I think it's kind of if it's eight and four, but they like take down LSU and obviously they're factoring a win over Mississippi State into the equation, then I think they're they're probably okay and like keep building forward. Um but you know it, it is interesting how long does the portal approach work? And yes, I understand Ole Miss is pick trying to pick it up on the recruiting trail. They just got a massive commitment. Um, uh, which by the way, I'm gonna say it. You, some of y'all have tweeted way too much about Cam Franklin to Ole Miss. Like y'all just when you, you don't when you have tweet to. about it at all, let alone like four or five times. It is impossible to look like you don't care. I had people tweeting like three or four times, oh, we don't care. I'm like, then why are you even mentioning it? If you truly didn't care, you, I, I did not know about it until I saw one of y'all's tweets. That's how little I care. If y'all did not tweet about it, I would have not known that it happened. Yeah. Good for them, man. I, I don't – okay. But look, it's, to be fair, since we're talking about their program a little bit here – um. And by the way, if y'all are wondering why we're, we're talking about them, we were literally trying to find a way to split up the conversation on Ole Miss so we weren't all just – we didn't have one person doing the whole thing. So we were like, all right, we're going to talk offense and defense. What's the other thing we can talk about? Well, I guess there's the storylines with Ole Miss. So that's what we gave to Colton was talk about the storylines for Ole Miss. So that's why we're, we're talking this stuff for them. But, look, the, the recruiting off on for high school is picking up. But obviously Lane's approach has been portal. They've gone portal heavy once again. Does that work? Like last season, it gave them mixed results. I mean, I think the best players on their team last year weren't the portal guys. Um, maybe a couple exceptions. Um, like, yeah, I, okay, because I'm sure somebody's thinking it. Malik Heath was good for them. All right. Um, but you look, they lost a lot of people. Some of the better players they had on the defense transferred out, and they brought in a bunch of transfers on the side of the ball once again. And Lane openly talking about you don't expect to have good culture at this point. Like, it's very was- interesting to – I, I appreciate – I'll say a nice thing about Lane Kiffin, and I don't say many. I'll appreciate his honesty about that point. If I'm an Ole Miss fan, I'm like, what – would you shut your whore mouth? Like, why would you admit that right now? Like, it makes us look bad. It makes And they're, and they're going to probably think – well, recruits – I don't think recruits are going to look at too much into it. But, like, I was – I appreciate his honesty, and, and it confirms what we all know. It is hard to maintain a locker room when – 40% of your guys weren't there the year before, and yet you're asking them to do big things. You know, it's not like they all got recruited together and they're not in this recruiting group text and you have a freshman-heavy team asking to contribute, but they've, known they've you know, been in Mississippi. They know each other, playing high school ball. You got guys from all over the country who, didn't, who had, did not know who their teammates would be until they walked onto campus and started practicing, and you're expecting those guys to gel. I mean – 
with 11, when you got 11 guys on the field, those guys got to trust each other. It's not, it's not a non-issue the way that a lot of these portal advocates are going about it. And Lane Kiffin's hit the portal king, so 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 and so-called portal king himself has is admitting it. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting because like are they, they're trying to run it back. It's going to improve this year. Um, so I guess, you know, let's talk about that. Uh, look at I've got the Ole Miss offense. Look, it starts with their ground game. Uh, last year, they had the best non-triple option rushing attack in the country at 256 yards per game. Quinshawn Judkins is a true freshman was ridiculous, over 1,600 yards and 16 touchdowns. Uh, that was alongside Zach Evans, who I think, you know, everybody was like, Evans is going to be the guy. And what's funny, it was the expectation was it was Evans, Evans and Ulysses Bentley was supposed to be the duo. It ended up being Ed, Evans and Judkins, but Bentley is still there. Uh, and he'll be the complimentary back to Judkins this year. And then obviously Jackson Dart is a threat with his legs as well. They're going to be able to run the ball on just about everybody they fix. The question is whether or not their passing game gets better. Um, because last season, Jackson Dart was really good when he was able to work off play action and RPO stuff, and Lane is just scheming a guy wide open for him. So much of what Lane does is literally designed, we are singling one receiver free. Quarterback doesn't really have to think here. Because the defense is going to suck in on play action or because they have to consider the run threat on RPO, our guy will be wide open. That works the majority of the time. But when you face defenses that can limit your ground game and are not scared of it and or can, you know, man up your receivers a little bit, then you ask your quarterback, can he be a drop back passer, read a defense, work a progression? Jackson Dart really couldn't. I think you saw a lot of that in the Egg Bowl. Um, he was 2011 touchdown to interception ratio. That's not all that great. 62% completion percentage was also towards the bottom of the SEC. And when you're 62%, Running an offense with what's supposed to give you so many easy completions, that's kind of says a lot about who you are as a dropback passer. Now, all indications are that he's improved greatly in the spring or the offseason. Every report is he has taken a step forward as a leader and as a passer. Um, and that, you know, it is his job because, of course, that was a big talking point with Spencer Sanders and uh, Walker Howard coming in. Oh, is there a quarterback battle? Apparently, he's put it into that. Like, he is the guy. Um, has he actually improved as a passer? That's the big thing to watch. Then you have to look at the guys he's going to be throwing to. Um, last year, Jonathan Mingo and Malik Heath were the receiving core. They made up, like, I, I did the math for a piece I did in Maroon and White Nation. It was a ridiculous amount of the receiving production were those two players last year, which that's kind of how Lane does it. It's typically where I'm going to have two guys that we throw to and the other guys are sort of just there. Um, but obviously they're gone. Uh, they have a few guys back that they like. I know Jordan Watkins is someone that they, they feel pretty good about, you know, maybe being a breakout player. But the two names that everybody's going to pay attention to is Akari Franklin from UTSA and Trey Harris from Louisiana Tech. Both these guys were over 900 yards and double di had double-digit touchdowns last year. Franklin had over 1,000 with 16 touchdowns. Um, look, they're legitimately good players from what I can tell. The question is, are they SEC good? You know, it's, it's an impossible to know. And, like, Franklin is the type of – like body that can actually like you feel like he can play uh, and Harris looked impressive from what I've watched of him as well. But you do, you do wonder, all right, transitioning to the sec, getting better defenses where you're not a massive mismatch every single week. What does that look like? Um, Caden pre-scores transfer tied in for Memphis. That was pretty good. And they still have Michael Trigg. Um, and, you know, we'll see if, with him fully healthy. What does that look like? I thought I he mean, got dismissed from the team. Trigg. Chris Smith yeah, did. From USC. You can look that up if I'm if I if I missed that. I don't. 
Uh, he maybe, maybe they let him come back, but last year he wasn't playing because of weird stuff. Uh, you go ahead. Well, he dealt with injuries. They did kick off. They brought that transfer from Texas A&M receiver in the spring, and he didn't even he didn't even make it fall because um, of being an attitude problem. Um, I believe Trigg is still there from what I what I know. Okay, he's still on the roster. Maybe he got hurt. I don't know. Well, yeah, he was hurt last year. Um, but anyway, like. He's someone they like a lot as being sort of a flex tight end that you can put out wide. He didn't really show it a year ago, but again, battle with injuries, maybe that changes. Like, there's pieces here, but it's guys who are not proven in the SEC. And so it's a combination of who steps up and does Jackson Dart actually take that next step as a passer. Um, Offensive line was solid. They were really impressive when you look at the overall numbers. Some of the advanced numbers were not as high on them. You kind of see that a lot of the rushing success was very much Quinshaw Judkins being awesome. Um, and they, look, they only gave up 15 sacks all year. But, again, so much of that is RPO, play action, ball getting out quick. You're not getting a, as good much of a pass rush. Um, so, you know, it's kind of mixed results for that group. But they did overall were good. They do lose their best lineman, Nick Broker, who was an All-American. Uh, four starters back, though, brought in a few solid transfers. Could be a good unit. And if it's more consistent, uh, they could be really good. Because, like, last year – you saw them struggle against the better defensive fronts. Like we saw it in the Egg Bowl and, and how that went for them, where their ground game, for as good as it was, got absolutely shut down by MSU. I mean, look, Lane is one of the best play callers in the country. The pieces are there to be elite on offense if the new wide receivers are legit and Dart is seriously improved. But that's kind of the, the, the big thing for them. Uh, Dan, let's talk about the Ole Miss defense. I know there's not much to talk about. I mean, yeah, under Lane Kiffin, what, what is there to talk about about Ole Miss? Now, uh, once again, you, you know, transfer heavy, four expected starters. You know, a few of them coming from the ACC. Um, or is it all of them? All the expected starters, I think all of them. Yeah, NC State, Louisville, Georgia Tech, okay, Iowa State. But, you know, you, you're a transfer heavy team, and that's always the big question. Now, you are – you are making an uh, an improvement at defensive coordinator. Uh, I do think Pete Golding's going to be better. Uh, obviously, you know, he just wasn't what Saban wanted at Alabama, so he let him walk, and and he ends up in Ole Miss. Um, but it, they're not going to be the same pushover defense that they were not too long ago. I don't, I don't think they're going to be the same team that you know has these insane shootouts, you know, like Big Twelve style. I, I don't think that's going to be the same case. This season, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, look, it's a Lane Kiffin coach team. Uh, you 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 know what's gonna come. You know, Cedric Johnson's a really good defensive end. Uh, he's been there for some time. He's really good. Um, you know, and and then uh, the one guy I want to look for is Money Montgomery. So he took a. He's probably gonna be the starting middle linebacker, taking over for. Um, I'm having trouble pronouncing this name. Ashanti Sistrunk. So Sistrunk was the top tackler from a year ago, or the top returning tackler, I should say. Uh, he had 72 tackles, one sack, two and a half tackles for loss, a pass breakup in there as well. He was their top returning guy, and now he's potentially going to lose his spot to a transfer um, in Montgomery from Louisville. Interesting to see what that uh, what that looks like here coming into the season obviously the linebacker position you can rotate a few guys in and out uh, and and just see who is going to be the better on the field secondary 
ah, not as high on them. Uh, you do have experience. Both projected starters at cornerback are seniors. Both projected starters at safety are juniors. So you have upperclassmen at these positions, right? Two of them being transfers. Yeah, I'm going to stand by what I said. I don't think they're going to be the same pushover team that they were in the past, right, on, on that side of the ball. But you have to see it. And look, give almost credit. Like Pete Golding, he's a pretty good hire. I, I think he is. Uh, I hate to say that, but uh, I think he's a pretty decent hire. You know, you've had a – I forgot who they had last year. I know they had Durkin in, in 21. He went to A&M and, and they had somebody last year. Chris Partridge. Partridge, that's right. Uh, and so you are getting an upgrade at that position. So, uh, yeah, that's what I got on the defense. I mean, like, like I said, they're not not pushover, but we, we, we'll see, right? I mean, I guess with a lot of these teams, right, you could just say, oh, we'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> I don't know what else to say besides that, just because, uh, yeah, with transfers coming in, it's just hard to tell, man. Like, it's hard to predict. Uh, and, and once again, like, yeah, there are a lot of people like almost – Kiffin, he's the best at the transfer portal thing, but is it is it guaranteed strategy to success? You know, twenty twenty one might say, yeah, it it could be, but in twenty two, you know, you kind of had your, your team fell apart there at the end. So who knows what two thousand twenty three holds for the Ole Miss Rebel defense? Yeah, um, I agree. Holt. Golding is a you know a better hire to bring in. Um, going to you know more of a that three four three three five type stuff as compared to three two six what they had been running. Um, you know I expect them to be more sound in rush defense. Still a question about their secondary. Um, so many new faces back there. You're right. So many transfers coming in. It's it's been said many times. Defense is a lot more reliant on talent. Offense you can typically take lesser guys and scheme stuff up. That's hard to do on defense. You kind of need the players. And they really don't have the players yet. So, I mean, I still think this is going to be a rough defense, but they will probably be put in better positions more frequently. Um, the, I mean, look, if the defense is merely bad and not horrendous, that, that you always know that means Ole Miss can still be decent. But what does it mean for the Egg Bowl, where MSU in an air raid offense last year was able to go up there and run them? Now, last year they stayed in the five-man box the entire night, which was – dumb for them for a team that couldn't stop the run on a night where it's pouring rain and state was not having success throwing the football and they gave state opportunities to run the ball. That was, I don't think Golding is going to give MSU those same opportunities. Well, obviously it's a new scheme this year. Uh, And I say that Golding kind of gave MSU some chances last year to do that against at Alabama. Um, This game is obviously it's the most important game on the schedule. It just is. Uh, We've talked about, the home team has lost the Egg Bowl now six of the last eight years. So how much has home field really mattered? Now, I know State's anticipating a sellout, at least as of now. Um, but, look, I think State's going to be better suited to lean on its ground game than they were a year ago. But it's, you know, what does the game plan look like for this Ole Miss defense? And are, are they playing solid by that point of the year? As with the other side of the ball, I think that's where the biggest question is for me because – State has new pieces in the secondary, and the reason State was able to shut down Ole Miss so effectively last year is like they they were able to bottle up the run game and force them into passing situations where Jackson Dart couldn't handle, and State's defensive front was able to get after. I don't know who your pass rushers are this year. I don't know who your guys in the secondary to lock down what receiving threats they do have. So, But, again, it's the last game of the year. Things should be sorted by then. 
this is a very interesting matchup um, for the for I mean the for the final game of the year and how MSU's defense and offense you know go up against the Rebels. Like I got this game is very much a toss. I, I will say that. Agreed. I thought Colton might have something to say, but oh. <laughs> sorry, uh, I got sent something right at that, that exact opportune moment. Apologies. All right. Um, so those are MSU's home SEC opponents. Uh, last couple of minutes here. There's, there's your preview. Uh, what are our thoughts? I mean, what I feel like this has been the standard answer, but I think you got to split these games for a successful season, right? Yeah. Got to split them. This is where, you know, the margin of error in college football and the SEC is so thin, right? I mean, right now you're thinking if you don't split these and the road games, you're you're not satisfied with the season. Uh, splitting four splitting four road games, going 500 on true road games in the SEC is hard. Okay, it's hard. Um, you're gonna have to find a way to do it, or you know, get an upset here, uh, go three and one, and then you split those road games. You're cooking with gas. I mean, everybody would take that right now. And and here's the thing, you know, we talk about how this schedule is very favorable for Mississippi State. You get eight home games. Uh, you get some of your tougher uh, opponents at home. On the other hand, uh, there is not – none of your SEC home games are you looking at and say, okay, yeah, pencil it in, that's a win. If you were getting Arkansas and Auburn at home this year, I'd be shocked if you lost those games. Kind of like last year. Like I would have been – I know that Auburn game was close, but I would have been shocked. Um, obviously, Ole Miss gets Vanderbilt at home every other year. Same kind of thing. If you get Vanderbilt, maybe possibly Missouri, although I think the defense is good. You get those games at home, you know, you're, you're start counting wins there. You all these games you talked about the last two weeks, you cannot put them in the win column in the preseason. Okay. It's it's scary. You're not gonna lose all of them, but none of them are sure wins. Yeah. I don't know um, what you're talking about. We're going we're going eight no in the SEC. I don't know what you're talking about, man. Eight no in the SEC and losing a CELA. Let's do it. Would you take that right now? There. Would you well, take I, would you take eleven and one if the loss was to was to Southeastern? I'd take yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Not even a question. I'm absolutely taking it. No, I, I right. definitely agree. State needs to be able to split these games. You you have to get that Kentucky game at home. And obviously, from a momentum standpoint, I mean, the Egg Bowl is the Egg Bowl. It's not – look, it's not every – it's not a must-win every single season, although it kind of is. But you feel like you, you need to be able to get it at home, especially year one, new program, uh, you know, direction under Arnett. You want to start things off in the right way. So that's going to do it for our opponent previews. Uh, next week – it's game week. We're going to have our big season preview for Mississippi State, and then we'll be previewing Southeast Louisiana. So uh, look forward to that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Dan and Colton for all the hopping on. As always, swing your sword. Hail State.